Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. This week's episode is sponsored by the book Can I Kiss You and the Instructor's Guide of Can I Kiss You. For many listeners know, this is the book that I wrote last year came out. We were thrilled because it went number one on Amazon for teen and young adult dating. And it is filled, just packed with how-to skill sets for anyone to read of any age. We used to have a certain age group and people said, will you stop doing that? I have a middle schooler that I want to read this book or I'm 45 single, I need to read this book. And we've had people who are married going, it's helped change my relationship. And that's why we're excited. This is this week's sponsor, the Can I Kiss You book. And if you're a teacher, the instructor's guide. You can find both at datesafeproject.org. That's datesafeproject.org. Or you can call Rita in our offices at 800-329-9390. That's this week's sponsor. Yes, I'm your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here with a very special person today on the Everyday Mindfulness Show, and that is Scott Halford. This week is a one-on-one chat, so it's just me and Scott sharing, discovering, asking questions. Of course, you can learn all about Scott by going on to our website at everydaymindfulnessshow.com, clicking the link. It'll take you to Scott's website, give you all the information, but we want to get you to meeting Scott. So Scott, thank you for joining us here today. It's great to be here. Thanks Scott, for having me. Oh, of course. Scott, we're all about everyday mindfulness here. You study the brain and how the brain works. So with mindfulness, I mean, this is so in alignment as far as what you do for a living and what your passion is, what your mission is. So when you hear about mindfulness, what does it mean to you? For me, it's, it's, I'm, I'm a little geeky when it comes to it because I like the science aspect of it. And the, the cool thing about it is, is that for a lot of people, mindfulness feels like a scary, woo-woo, kind of spiritual type of thing. And it is, it can be. But it also has some really, really important roots in the neuroscience of how we grow our brain and actually the anti-aging of our brain. And so lately, the, the research on what mindfulness does to actually plump a part of the brain that holds the memories is profound. And so people who actually do this de-age their brain, they allow themselves to remember more. And we all know and can probably make some suppositions about how it distresses us, but it actually, again, is there's a de-aging aspect to it because it takes cortisol, stress or hormone levels down. And therefore, what it allows you to do is to, to think in ways and innovate in ways that you won't be able to do if you are constantly in a pelting, non-mindful kind of way. So I look at it from a, a wonky 
scientific way. No, I <laughs> like, love that. I love that because we're going to have people who listen who go, hey, where's the logic? Where's the proof? And that comes from that perspective. So Scott, could you give her a little background on where you were coming from? Because I briefly said, you know, you study the brain, you study, but could you explain what you do? So if people listening really understand this is your expertise. Yeah. So I work with leaders in typically larger corporations who are relatively high level, who are experiencing quite a lot of stress and what have you, and are, are really at the, at the pinnacle of their career where either they're going to plateau or they're going to perform at higher levels. And what we found that makes the difference is not their IQ, not even their EQ, though that, that has a lot to do with it, but their ability to manage and understand their biology and understand their brain. And so I teach leadership through the lens of neuroscience and helping people to really um, kind of wrap them, wrap their, their heads around, if you will, their heads, wrap their heads around their heads to understand what their brain has to say about their performance on an everyday basis. Because the vast majority of people abuse their brains in such a way that if, if they actually could take it and make it something else, like a like a very exper- expensive instrument, like a, like a Stradivarius violin, right? sold at auction for $11 million a few years ago. If a concert violinist bought that and then took it and, and beat it up, you know, on the stage before they began to play and then sat down and expected it to play amazing music, that would be absurd. But that's what we do to our brains. And our brains are much more priceless than a Stradivarius. So that's, that's my, my background. I, I, I write about it. I think about it. I have books about it. My whole goal is for people to fall in love with their brains and, and spend more money on their brains than they do their car. And you're you're a neuroscientist, right? That that's what you do. I wouldn't call myself that. Yeah, okay. I mean that would be lovely. But I study neuroscience. I have a master's in it. But uh, true neuroscientists are you know PhDs in the research aspect of it. I research the leadership. I'm more interested in the business side of it, and then taking and kind of substantiating what we already know about things like mindfulness, but bringing the science to it so that people who are a little bit skeptical say, okay, there is a neural correlate. It actually has a benefit to my brain. Of course, I'll do it. I love what you said there about, I mean, it's not good news, but I love the way you explain it so simply about beating up the brain. So let's go there. Like, what are ways people are beating up their brains? I call it cortisol paper cuts. Cortisol is your stressor hormone. It's incredibly important for you to focus. Cortisol is a really great thing to a point. And it rises about two to three times its natural state in the morning to awaken you. And it focuses you. And it's interesting from that point forward what we do. So we waste our focused amount of cortisol on emails and interacting with road rage and waking up and watching news and dealing with our loved ones and getting out the door and da 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 and it's a paper cut, paper cut. And cortisol is additive. And, and what it does is it rises and then you hit a perfect spot and that's your focus. When you get too much, you literally fall off into disorganization and anxiety. And so what ends up happening is not just from a behavioral standpoint, but your organs actually begin to basically shut down because your, your body's going into a fight or flight system. And over time, what happens is you shrink your brain, which is going to happen anyway after you're 30. And why would you want to do that more quickly? Cortisol shrinks it. It also flattens the part of the brain that allows you to have memory. And what is your ability other than your memory? Being able to retrieve and, and learn and create memory. That's, you know, that's what we do as humans. And that's hugely affected. And so cortisol, 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 and there's no erasing of it throughout the day. And so what I really encourage people to do is to take 
at least three 10-minute moments throughout their day to just look out the window. I mean, look at your window behind you. <laughs> um, to literally, and we know that nature actually changes the brain. I mean, we know that nature changes, not just changes the architecture of the brain, but actually changes the neurochemical the chemistry of the brain. So look, literally looking outside out of a window, stopping what you're doing, or just sitting there and letting your mind wander untethered from your, your smartphone and your computer brings the cortisol level down, actually re- kind of constitutes your brain, if you will, um, takes the inflammation down, and you can start again, you know, so it's the 50-10 rule, sprint for 50, intense, intense, intense in your brain, and then 10 minutes of a break, and uh, that's pretty well researched. The actual research is 52 on and 17 off. That's really interesting, because when I do all-day trainings, I mandate that we go 50 on 10 off. And I did not know there was the science behind that. You got it, yeah. I knew that it makes a huge difference. Like I can see the huge difference, but now that science really makes that sense. Now, what a lot of people do, and I fall into this trap, is we live right next to water. So I get up and in the morning, now that we live at this place, I go on the kayak and go out and meditate for 20 minutes and and then come back in. And it, it is, it's just relaxing what you described, but here's the challenge. Life comes in after that. And so you bring up a really important point. You're like three times at 10 minutes. Because if you set the day off right, but by noon, you do have all that email and everything coming back in, you need a reset is what you're really saying here three times. So are you more, you know, if you're doing it the first one at six or 7 a.m., then the next one at one, and then one in the evening to calm the brain for sleep, is, is, there, a, is there a good chronological system to it? It, well, there is, and it's different for every person. And the goal is to find at least three. And I mean, if you can do a four or five, it, the, the research is showing that if you can get to 45 minutes a day of true mindfulness, and true mindfulness is not just wandering out the window. True mindfulness is actually holding something in your mind and only focusing on it and being completely present with it. And if you can get to 45 minutes a day of that, that's where we actually see architecture in the brain, the frontal lobes, the hippocampus plump, the, the memory center. We see actually growth of really important real estate in the brain, which is cool because that's what ages. But if you're at least doing the wandering out the, the, the window, that's where we reset the cortisol. I encourage people to be intentional about their day, which is being more mindful. And that is, you know, work on one thing at a time. You're going to have the interruptions that you can't stop. You're going to get phone calls, pop-up emails, the worst thing in the whole world for the human brain, pop-up emails. Things like Jabber, being instantly contacted in the moment for every moment. It literally creates this messy mind, and so you can't focus. You can't get on that focus. If you're intentional, you'll say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up what I'm going to open up. I'm going to work on it 50 minutes, be really intent on it, uh, manage the distractions, start letting people know this is important to me that I'm going to be working on. Only emergencies contact me. You'll be surprised how many people actually figure out their own stuff. And then you take that 10-minute break, go hydrate, walk out in nature, sit there and let your mind wander, listen to music, play a game. Just anything that is different than the electricity that you just were in resets the whole thing. And so there are a variety of different ways to go at it. It's not just one thing. You don't have to just sit there and some people just don't know, are not good with hanging out with themselves. It's really interesting. Right. You know, oh, I know. Minutes, I absolutely Right? Yeah. Well, and here's the thing you brought up. You said intentional with a thought. Um, I've learned various versions of meditation. And a lot of meditation either has no thought process, but some mantra. And so is the mantra the intention? In other words, 
you said you need intention for the chemistry, the science to work itself. There needs to be a single thought. And yet a lot of meditation is to not think. But is the, the theory there that the mantra is what you're referring to there if somebody's using a mantra? It could be the mantra, so long as that you're not basically becoming numb to the mantra. So mantras can actually help empty your brain. And that, that don't get me wrong, that form of meditation is amazing, does amazing things. But where we're really, where the research is really focused is on true mindfulness. And uh, true mindfulness is like one of the exercises I do in my workshops is have people hold a raisin in their mouth for 90 seconds. And the only thing they can think about is anything but the raisin. Right, And they have to keep the raisin moving in their mouth for 90 seconds. And at the end of 90 seconds, um, they need to have some remnant of the raisin left over. And they can't park the raisin. So they have to actually work to hold it in their mouth. So there's some, some difficulty to that. They have a raisin in their mouth. It's really difficult not to think about the raisin. But I ask them just to let their minds wander. That's a network called the default mode network. And that's where we go when we're not thinking about anything. When we're in the car... And just kind of in that mellow, just kind of you're kind of folding away. It's a very creative space. If you're just sitting there, that resets the cortisol. It's the default mode network. That is one form of of you know, what we're talking about. The other form is putting a raisin again in your mouth, and this time 90 seconds. Don't get to keep time. Moving it the whole time. Some remnant of raisin left over, but the only thing you can think about is the raisin. And every time your mind wanders off, takes off. You have to get back on the raisin. And it is really difficult to keep that raisin in mind for 90 seconds without your brain t- trailing off. And we've all seen the research. Your, your brain stays focused, you know, five to seven seconds, and which is true unless you train it. That actual activity of training it, of, of focus, is so incredibly difficult for the brain because it's doing two things at one time. It's doing inhibitory and excitatory impulses in the brain. So it inhibits everything that's trying to get its attention. Squirrel, squirrel. And it excites because you're telling it to do something, which is to mind the raisin. Both of those at the same time create the neurochemical bath that the brain needs in order for that architecture to grow. And so it's literally being focused on the thing. So the mantra can do it if you stay on the mantra and your head stays on the mantra. If you do the mantra and you wander, you're now in the default mode network. So does that make sense? It makes total sense. And it makes me really evaluate a lot of meditation because you, as you know, a lot of people when they hear meditation, they think, well, I can't be quiet for that long. I can't let, I've tried it and a million thoughts are coming through my head. And so what you're saying is it's really the intentionality where the science kicks in. And so if I do that 20 minutes where I'm trying to just do mantra and clear the mind, that doesn't mean that I still don't want to do those three to five, 10 minutes of intentionality. So when I, which is what you're referring to, that one focus point. So that intentionality, what do you look for it to be? Do you look for business intentionality, personal life intentionality? What would be good intentionality for calming cortisol? Literally, anything that you decide to focus on and you stay there, it calms the brain. So if you decide that you're going to work on a project and it requires a good deal of, of prefrontal cortex thinking, you know, your cognition... Um, but you stay on it and you don't get focused. You've done this, right? You've written books and you, yep. you, you write and you know what that feels like. Well, that's, that's your brain in synchrony. It's entrained, right? It's in synchrony. And the brain likes harmony. And disharmony is what happens when we get interruption, interruption. And it, it literally is this attentional blink. And when you get attentional blink, cortisol goes up because it says, oh, danger. Oh, there's a pop-up. Oh, there's a message. Oh, that right. needs your attention. And 
when we calm that and say, I'm going to focus on this one thing, whether it is a project, a raisin, eating, a conversation you're having with your loved one, where you literally stay present. Mindfulness is about everything right now. It's, we, you know, we have this, this really weird ability. Right? You know, when a lion goes off and she kills her prey, she's doing her job, right? She thinks about her prey. And that's what she does, and she kills the prey, and she takes it away, right? And that's it. She's present. She's completely present. As human beings, we have some really cool architecture in our heads that allows us to do our job, but think about, hmm, things I have, I have to do next week, and what do I have in the refrigerator, and oh, i got to pick up my dry cleaning. And we can do that while we're pretending to do this, and that split attention is not only detrimental to the brain, it's detrimental to the quality of whatever you're trying to do. And so we multi-fail instead of multitask. And, and so the brain is really, really good at one thing at a time. It's linear. It's not, a, it's not multi. And that linear process is actually the healthy piece. And that's what mindfulness and trainment does. And you can do it with anything. It just means you've got to be present. Well, I love it. And I, so what you're saying is, you know, where a lot of times people think, I have this major stressor in my life. My child is struggling with this or my spouse or I'm struggling with a personal situation, whatever it is. And you think, okay, I just want to go meditate to get away from that. But really maybe 10 minutes of intentional focused thought on that is what you're saying could really bring down the cortisol levels and the stress level. Try a mindful conversation with your significant other tonight, literally for five minutes where you, five minutes, just that where your full attention is sitting across from that person, you're only focused on the, 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 the aspect that they bring, so they bring you good news or bad news, and you stay in it. You don't make it about you. You don't make it about a solution, which is a future. You don't make it about, oh, I tried this, which was the past. You literally stay present. Watch how it changes the texture of the conversation. It's about you know staying where you are, staying present. So Ellen Langer, she wrote a book called Counterclockwise. It's a fantastic study. She is a psychologist who studies mindfulness as well as some other neuro kinds of, of aspects. She and John Kabat-Zinn are, are contemporaries. And she wrote this book about this group of men who she took and at baseline measured their cortisol, their blood pressure, all of the, 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 the basically you know, my markers of their age, if you will. And uh, they were in their 80s. And they took them and she put them in a village for a week. And in this village, it was a village that was everything in it had cars and homes and billboards. Everything was from the 1950s when they were young men. And the only thing they could bring with them were clothes of that age and pictures of that age. After the week, what they did, and basically what they were doing is saturating them with mindfulness. They, they had to be present because that's where they were. They couldn't think about things out there and here. And all their discussions were about everything from the 50s, and it had the music and everything. After a week, they basically remeasured all of their, their, their body functions, if you will, and they discovered that they had de-aged by about 15 years. And this, this movie is being made into, this book's being made into a movie. I mean, it's, it's stunning what your brain will help you do but you got you got to understand it. You got to work it. And mindfulness is one of the most powerful things on the planet. From everything, from the very basic thing to the actual growth and and de aging of your brain. Cool stuff. What I love about it, it applies to so much of our lives, whether it be professional, personal. I mean, I can think of how many people struggle to be present in, in the bedroom sexually. How many distractions they bring in, 
and they're not fully there with their partner. You know, in my line of work, you get to hear from a lot of people saying, you know, it just isn't the same anymore, but that's because they're not, is it, they're not taking the time to make it as exciting and as passionate. And so you think, hmm, what if they took that 10 minutes before the bedroom to be intentional about the bedroom? And totally be present. And when that person walks in, they're there. They're present. Not, hey, did you get that thing done? Right. You know, as they're undressing to have sex with the person, you know, and just <laughs> this is what is common though, right? Hey, did you see this? Did you see that? Did you? And you're losing all the, the intention of the focus of the presence of the person you're with. Uh, yeah. it'd be so powerful to say, Hey, before let's just both take 10 minutes and just, and really think about, you know, that what we want. And, and when we get back together, it would be could be really powerful. Well, I think that we get really convinced in, in those situations as well as in our life, especially as we grow up with the, the people in our life. I think we become convinced that we know that our brain knows everything about them. Um, when you get present, you discover new things about people every day, every, the same people every day. It's stunning. We, we have a koi pond in our backyard and koi, for those who don't know what a koi is, it's a it's a kind of a fancy carp, Japanese. They live to be 100 years old, and they're prized because they do live so long. And um, we have 17 of them. Every one of them has a name, and every one of them has a different personality. We will sit out there every single day when I'm home, every single day. And I just was saying that it's stunning to me that we can look at our fish every single day and still talk about them every single day because we find new things about them every day because we're focused on them. That's what happens in a relationship. When you're, when you're actually present, you abandon that false idea that you know everything about them and that, that would happen in the bedroom. So we kind of you know, cheat ourselves by saying, okay, there's nothing new and interesting about Mike, nothing new and interesting about Scott or whoever, right? Right, right. It's wrong. We, we do have new and interesting every day. We just have to pay attention. So I, I love this discussion because you, you, you know, this is what you study. This is what you live. Where are your own struggles? Like where are areas that you struggle? Because we all know that if you do mindfulness, it doesn't mean you do it right or you, do, you, you don't have yeah. days you don't do it. So where, where do you find for yourself, Scott, are moments where you have to some, – do you create a trigger for yourself when you're not in the place you want to be? Or is it more of a review of the day going, Oof, wish I had taken the time for that? I have a friend that you, you know, Sean Stevenson, and Sean mm-hmm. has a life sucks list and a life works list. I might be using the wrong language there. But if he reviews his day, if he did the life works list stuff, life works. If he did the life sucks list stuff, life usually sucked. So it helps him to look back and have an evaluation of which, where did I, where was I intentional? Do you have systems in place to help you? Yeah, you know, for me, uh, my triggers are when I, when things start falling through the cracks and I try to hold too much in my prefrontal cortex, which is kind of like short-term memory. And when you're not mindful, phone numbers and chores and things I said I would do and, oh, I'll, I'll text this and I'll email that, it falls out. Um, it literally falls out of the prefrontal cortex. Your working memory works less better when it's messy. And that's trying to hold, you know, not being mindful. So that's what happens for me. My trigger is... I can't find my keys. I misplaced this. I misplaced that. And it typically happens in a cascade or I'll be working. Going, oh, my gosh, I forgot. I got to get that email out that I said I would. And when I have a lot of those, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go out. I'm going to reset, focus on one thing, write things down. Huge, huge, huge. Write things down because it, actually when you write something down, it, it is a signal to your brain that it no longer has to remember it, and um, which is a really great thing. And, and so – 
then you can be mindful on what you are working on right here and now. So I, I find myself having to do that a lot. I just kind of re-trigger. And for me, my, my system is not crazy. It's literally write things down. And it doesn't matter how old you are. You know, I mean, you would think with all this gray hair, I'm just saying it because I'm, I'm old. I don't care if you're 20 years old, your prefrontal cortex, it's a waste of your prefrontal cortex to hold little minuscule bits and pieces in it that you want to remember all day because this is the thing that creates the universe. This is what's created everything that you're sitting in and you're wearing in this, this technology. You know, no other beast on the planet can do it because they don't have a prefrontal cortex like we do. And yet we use it. As if it, you know, it's like having a, a, a tuna net to go get a goldfish out of the ocean. You know, it's it's like overkill. And uh, it's, it's, it's such a powerful tool. And yet we don't use it the way we, we should use it. And we don't calm it down so that it can find the, 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 the next big idea, the next, you know, big meaning in our lives. Well, it reminds me of, I think it's the secretweapon.org or .com. Are you aware of this? It's, a, it's the combination of taking getting things done the book concept and the strategy behind that with Evernote so that when you have a thought in your mind, you immediately log it so that you can release it and yet still move on with your day and have it come back where it belongs. It's a brilliant system for anybody who's never seen it. I learned it in an NSA event, National Speaker Association event, uh, sitting next to a friend, uh, Bruce Turkle was sitting and whispered, Mike, have you seen this? And it changed my life because it has categories. So if something's coming in my head, I immediately, okay, write that down. Is that a one to three and my priorities? And if it's a one, I'm going to see it again because I'll check my ones at the end of the day or the beginning of the day. But if it's a two or three, I almost never see it again, which tells me I didn't need to see it in the first place. But if yeah. I don't do that writing down, the two or three can be at the front or coming in and out of the head, in and out of the head all day long. And I could have released it a long time ago. So, and what happens when we don't have a system around what is important is that we do the unimportant things first because they're easy. You know, we'll clear out email, which is the exact wrong thing to do in the, in the, the morning. Your brain is most powerful in the morning. It's, it's not got a bunch of, it, you know, it's got the right amount of cortisol. You haven't had the abuses of the day happen. The morning, you know, do heavy list, lifting. But what we do is we, we do, you know, we read newspaper and we write emails. And, yeah. Let's talk, about, let's talk about the heavy lifting. I want to dive in that, the heavy lifting part there. Which heavy lifting should we tackle? Because there's two kinds of heavy lifting. There's the heavy lifting of the thing you don't want to do, but then there's the heavy lifting of that high creative thing that needs your strategic thinking, like writing, like uh, creating a project, whether if you're not a writer, maybe it's building something you're going to build, but it takes high brain intellect for you to use that. Which of those two should be the priority of heavy lifting, the one you don't want to do or the one that takes a lot of brain capacity? I think both. I think, I think you know, if you look at your day and you, you, you look at your week, for instance, I think you'll find that the things you don't want to do, the more you do them, the fewer they become. Right. <laughs> and so every day you don't have something you don't want to do. You get that done. You can get that done, that thing you don't want to do, especially if it's uh, out of your wheelhouse. So for me, out of yeah, my wheelhouse. Yeah, that's what I'm referring to, out of wheelhouse, yeah. right? That you don't want it. Because if it's in wheelhouse, you normally want to do it. Uh, it's yeah. out of wheelhouse you don't want to do. Well, you know, I mean, I like to write, but sometimes it's in my wheelhouse, but it's hard and I want to do it. So there's that. Right. And then there's also out of the wheel. So that's in my wheelhouse. Don't want to do it. Then there's out of my wheelhouse. Don't want to do it. And those are the hardest things. 
like getting into QuickBooks and balancing all my checkbooks because I put it off and put it off. I had three months to do. I did it yesterday and I just decided I'm going to focus and I'm staying here, no interruptions and I'm doing it. And I had to force myself and take my own advice, do the heavy lifting. Um, I can't do it in the afternoon because squirrel, 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 right? Because of cortisol levels. Um, allow me to defocus. It's too high, right? And so I do it in the morning and get those done. On other mornings, um, I don't have something staring at me that is like so don't want to do, have to do kind of thing. Because again, I get realistic and say, no, it's actually, I'm, I'm, I create a lot more bugaboos out there than actually exist. And so this morning, my heavy lifting is going to be around a creative pursuit. It's going to be around sitting down and writing something or um, thinking about changing something in my program or calling somebody, you know, interacting. I love to interact with other people in a creative way in the morning because I create things and, you know, I can yeah. write things down. So I think you, you, you make decisions every day. And when you're intentional, you begin to say, okay, I have to do this. It's got to be done today or tomorrow. It's going to require heavy lifting. Best time to do it is in the after or is in the morning, um, and it's different for everyone. Most people morning, but then in the afternoon I can do some creative things as well because it is something I like to do. I can battle, through, you know, I can do it on a less electrically charged brain. I can do some of the stuff that's not heavy lifting when I don't have to be mentally uh, it's mentally acute. This is awesome. Well, thank you. You're sharing so much brilliance here. What is a book that you you just absolutely love to give to others or that trans provided transformation for you in this area? Well, my own book. <laughs> well, absolutely. Tell everybody about your book. Yeah. Uh, I have a book called Activate Your Brain. And actually, it's interesting because I said to somebody the other day, it's called Activate Your Brain, how understanding your brain can improve your, your life and your work. I said to somebody I, the other day, I have a couple of books. I said, I really like this book. And they're like, well, of course you did. You wrote it. I'm like, no, I like it because, not because I wrote it, I, because it, I'm just a conduit of really re the, the research that's out there. I like it because it actually is helpful. People actually read it, which is interesting, right? Because if you have a book, you know a lot of people who have your book, but right. why not read or it. Or the souvenir, but, right. It's more the right. souvenir, right. And people actually say, God, I'm in chapter 14 and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading that part on, you know, how food affects mood. And I'm like, wow, you really are reading it. So I like that. Um, other books that, that are in the genre that I really love, I love um, Rewire Your Brain. Really, it's an awesome brain, uh, awesome book. I like the book Quiet, um, which is by Susan Cain. And she's an introvert and she, it's about introversion, extroversion, but really kind of gets to this whole, uh, whole idea of kind of being a settled and calm person. And we need that, whether we're an extrovert or an introvert. So we need kind of both ends of the spectrum. I really, really like that. Awesome. I want to thank you so much for joining us, Scott. And for anybody who is not watching the video, you're hearing this on the podcast. Scott has a sign behind him. He has a beautiful piece of art behind him, a nice, colorful. But he also has a sign behind him with almost a Buddha-like uh person uh, that says, let that shit go. And so, uh, so that is uh, very, very timely with this discussion of just letting that go and, and being more intentional. So this has been awesome, Scott. For everyone listening right now, we hope that you make today and every day a mindful day. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope to hear you join us next week on the next episode. And remember to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show. Three quick reminders. 
One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com and check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.